Hi everyone and welcome to episode 32 of Her Story. Today my guest is Sochila Hernandez. She is a vocalist and a Spanish language journalist who just graduated from college out in Los Angeles. I'm really excited for you to hear about her experiences and her thoughts about racial equity, gender equity, and we also talk about social justice issues and how it relates to music. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. Please like and share with your friends, and I will see you next Monday. Hello, my name is Xochitl Hernandez. I am a recent graduate. Um, I just graduated from California State University, Northridge. I graduated with my bachelor's of music and vocal performance and a minor in Spanish language journalism. And I am a musician, classically trained singer, opera singer in progress, as well as a multimedia journalist. So, and a performer, so yeah. Yay, awesome. I'm so happy that you're here. First thing I wanted to start with is just get an idea of your background so everybody can get to know you a little bit more. Um, So what got you started in music in the first place? Yeah, okay. So, you know, I have always loved music. I mean, I've always been extremely passionate about it. And I don't really know what started it, except for the fact that just like ever since I can first remember when I was like a little girl, like three or four, I just was obsessed with music and loved it. And I just loved to sing too. Like, I don't really know how it began, but I just, you know, my earliest memories are me learning like all the Disney princess songs. And, you know, my parents would ask me like, why don't you sing me a song? And then I would be like, okay. And then I would sing them a song. I used to put on little performances for my family at parties and living rooms. And honestly, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the singer selena the mexican-american singer oh yeah um, yeah. yes yes oh my gosh who doesn't but it's so funny because when i saw her movie uh the one where jennifer lopez was in her movie Mm -hmm. and she played selena um i just i saw her i think when i was about four when i saw the movie and i was just like mesmerized and i grew up listening to so many different types of music especially selena i had all her albums and i used to like memorize all of them and like I memorized the movie and her dance moves and her singing and like I just remember seeing like a Mexican-American woman like me who like she I felt like she looked like me and my family I felt like she I felt like I could understand her because she wasn't born in Mexico she was born here in the United States Mm -hmm. and she was Mexican that was her culture but she didn't even speak that great of Spanish. And I felt like I could really relate to that because, you know, as a baby, I spoke really great Spanish because that's all my family and I spoke in. But then as I grew older and was going to school and, you know, you living in the United States, I spoke more English and lost a lot of it for a mm-hmm. time being. So I felt like when seeing her and how she merged both Mexican and American, like, language and music, as well as, like, just the fact that she was Mexican, but kind of American by default because she was born in the United States. But like, I just really, really related to her. And I just really loved it. And I I feel like I 
seeing her like honestly made me like be inspired to sing and so I learned all her music and quite honestly I just grew up listening to so many different types of music I listened to mariachi banda like you know different types of um regional mexican music as well as like salsa and cumbia as well as reggae and bob marley and like oldies and like disco music and 80s music and like hip-hop and rap as well as like r&b and and soul and like funk and prince and just like literally everything under the sun and i would just like sit there listening to so many different types of music and um, I would literally just like study the song. I would study like, what is the guitar doing? What is the drum doing? What is the singer doing? And um, yeah, so I just always loved music and just had a, you know, a penchant to perform all the time. I just, anytime anyone would ask me to sing, I would do it. So then I started to take some piano lessons growing up and I was getting pretty good at it. But then, you know, I had to stop because in high school I got super busy. And so then I didn't really do a lot of like, I wasn't really heavily involved in like music classes growing up just because um, I, my schools didn't have a strong music department. Mm. So the only thing I really had was like that I loved music. I loved to listen to music and I would sing the national anthem at my high school football games sometimes. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I really need to study music. Like this has always been something I loved. Because growing up, I always did a bunch of different things. I did speech and debate. I did sports. I did cross country and track. So then once I got to college, I said, I have to major in music. I want to give myself a chance to do this. And so I did. And I majored in music in college. And that's the, the rest is history. <laughs> And I love how you kind of had this like whole eclectic musical background from all these different influences as yeah. well that kind of, you know, helped you along in that because you didn't, like you said, you didn't have a super strong school music program. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. I, 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 I'm such a believer in like, you know, music is so diverse and it's so cross-cultural that like you should have, like you should at least like kind of know some eclectic music uh, have some type of eclectic music background because like everything feeds into each other and I just feel like it makes me stronger as a musician and as a human because I can better understand people and art and how it affects us. Yeah that's so great and so you were talking about how you know you, you pursued this vocal arts degree and you were a Spanish language journalism minor out at California State. So what were your collegiate experiences like both as a vocalist student and also as this journalism minor as well? Yeah so it's interesting because having that I never really had like heavy music theory or music education classes when I first got to CSUN Cal St. Northridge, when I first got there, it was really hard for me to find my place in the music department and fit in. Um, I really felt lost and alone um, for my freshman year because uh, just for a few reasons, I just wasn't used to being in a, in a music education environment and with other musicians who had studied music for most of their life. And so I also wasn't really used to music education. And I it was kind of like starting when you're in kindergarten and you're learning like the ABCs. It was kind of like that where, you know, I was taking music theory and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And it was definitely really hard at first and I had to work very hard. And there was a moment where I almost thought to myself like, man, like maybe I shouldn't do this. Like I just didn't really felt, it almost felt like 
I mean, you know, there were there. My school is so diverse with so many different people of color and so many different cultures, and that's I love that. And so is the music department. But I think I also just felt like perhaps my upbringing or culture was a little foreign to the world of like European classical music, um, and. I was a little bit like, oh, like, how do I fit in? How do I merge my own cultural upbringing as a Latina and as Mexican and also with this, you know, very traditional European classical Eurocentric um, music? And of course, we learn world music, too. But of course, we also know that classical music education is also, um, you know, very like, European centric. And so, yeah, so I think that not really like being raised around uh, too much Mozart or Beethoven. I mean, I've heard of them, but not being heavily raised around it was a little bit like, oh, like, do I fit into this? Like, you know, is this okay for me to do? Like, or am I, you know, sometimes like I think people want to put you in like little stereotypes. Like, they're like, oh, like, you know, so anyway, so I really had to like find my way and find my place and adjust and um if it wasn't for my voice teacher my private voice teacher dr david sonrud who is just like an absolute amazing person all around i probably would have like stopped the music major and like switched because i was really not enjoying myself but every time i went to my voice lessons with him i was like no like i have a voice i'm enjoying singing and for some reason i think i need to just keep pushing, pushing through this. And I did. And I'm so glad I did because, oh my gosh, I mean, I was in different operas. My favorite opera was Orpheus in the Underworld. And I was public opinion. And I did that my last year, my senior year. Um, but I was in an opera every year since my sophomore year. So sophomore, junior and senior year. And um, I was in different choirs. We, I loved the choral pieces we did, like we did Mozart's Requiem. My favorite choir that I was in was the top choir at CSUN, which is the Northridge Singers. And I just adored my choir director, Paul Smith. He, you know, was just amazing. And I just am so grateful to the different mentors that I had while at CSUN, um, you know, I got much better at music theory and harmony and all of that. And I got A's and because I worked my butt off and because it, you know, what did not come naturally to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to be a bad musician. So then I, you know, so the operas and the choirs and the little festivals we did and the performances, as well as, um, you know, I took like so many language classes because I'm an opera singer. So I had to take Italian and German and French and, you know, music history. People like couldn't really stand, but I was such a nerd over it. I love music history. I loved world music. And so, yeah, I just had an amazing education. We have a beautiful performing arts center called the, well, it was called the Valley Performing Arts Center. Now it's called the Soraya and in the Soraya, we did our, you know, Christmas concerts, our choir concerts, and our operas sometimes. And I just really, you know, this is what I wanted. Like, I, I didn't really have a lot of performance experience, except for, like I said, performing the national anthem or uh, doing, like, some uh, piano recitals here and there. I wanted to really get a performer's experience, a musician's experience. And so having that whole experience of, like, you know, it was super painstaking sometimes, like having, you know, 
you know, uh, we have, would have 12 hours of rehearsals a week, you know, sometimes during tech week before the operas, I'd be there sit until midnight and I would be, I was a full-time student and I worked on campus and I was commuting. So that was, I definitely like had to live at school during the day and through the evening. And then I would drive back home cause you know, I couldn't afford a dorm. So yeah, like I lived in and out of my car and at school and I mean, it was super hard and it was a lot, but man, I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was not easy, but I just, you know, it's kind of like that struggling performing artist, but I really, it was like boot camp. I really got my performance in, in doing that also. I am also really passionate about just storytelling. And I feel like as a musician and as a singer, I do tell stories. And um, I've always been, besides also being someone who loves to sing and perform ever since I was a little girl, I also loved to talk. <laughs> and when I was a little girl, I used to narrate the Weather Channel, and I'd pretend to be a weather girl, anchor, whatever. And um, I just love to ask questions and talk. And I'm very curious about the world and culture and language and people and social issues and justice. And so while I was doing my music degree, I also realized that I was very ahead in credits and I wanted to do a minor. And I had so many different ideas for a minor, but I finally found the perfect minor for me, which was an interdisciplinary minor uh, called Spanish language journalism. And what it did was it, it, it incorporated everything that I was interested in Chicano studies, um, Spanish as well as journalism and so it was journalism through a Latino perspective and specifically Spanish in doing that I also have just been very interested or not even interested just like an inherent passion for social justice and activism and I feel like with journalism I'm very passionate about telling stories and I did it through a multimedia journalist perspective I did podcasting radio I was a part of El Nuevo Sol, which was CSUN's Spanish news platform. We wrote in articles and magazine styles and online our online website, as well as we had our own podcast. And I was also a lead anchor and reporter for Valley View News, which was our um, CSUN's television news station. And so in doing that, I always was very interested to find a way to merge both music and multimedia journalism, as well as my culture and ethnicity as a Latina for the purpose of telling stories and creating awareness and talking about social issues and um, advocating for justice. So I did a lot of stories um, on music and I also did a lot of stories on my opera conductor uh, director who is Mercedes Juan Musoto and she's the first woman conductor that we ever had at CSUN. Not only is she the first woman, she's a Latina woman, a brown Latina woman. And that Woo! was monumental. Yes, that was monumental for me because like I said before, I really struggled with finding my place in a classical music world where if you look at you know, classical music and major classical music people um, worldwide, Sometimes, uh, I think with classical music, probably unconsciously, we have created a, a very elitist art, probably because it's very expensive and probably because maybe it's still not accessible to a lot of general public or it still lacks a lot of diversity and inclusion and equity. And so seeing a brown Latina woman as, you know, conducting the opera and, and the fact that we have so little women 
at leading in the classical music industry, I mean, what do we usually see conducting an orchestra and opera? We usually see a man or, you know, or a white man. And so, mm -hmm. you know, to see that was like, for me, was like, oh my goodness. So, you know, I did stories on her. So I just did a bunch of different things. And for me, I just am so incredibly grateful to my time at CSUN because it gave me all the necessary tools to be the person that I was created to be, which is like a musician and a multimedia journalist and ultimately someone who is a creative and a storyteller who wants to love people and help people. And I just am so thankful for my education at CSUN for make, you know, creating the fundamentals and the basic structure to make me into a, a classical singer and a musician and storyteller and multimedia journalist. And like I said, my mentors like Mercedes and um, Dr. Sonarud and even my choir conductor, Paul Smith, who, you know, talked a lot about social justice, especially as a black man. And we would do a lot of like African-American spirituals. And we incorporated a lot of that social change and justice into our music and liberation and freedom and it was just beautiful and I could talk about CSUN and my time there you know all day I was a CSUN presidential scholar um, which helped me create a project which would mix both music and journalism which we can talk about later and I also graduated as the um, outstanding graduate one of the outstanding graduating seniors which was one of the honors of my life it, completely absolutely I was so surprised that I got that but I was awarded along with five other people in the class of 2020 out of, you know, the entire class of like 11,000 students. And so I was like, wow, just, I mean, I, you know, privilege and blessed doesn't amount to the words that I can describe of, I wouldn't be here today without these people who poured into me and taught me. I seriously wouldn't. I, it takes a village. And so I'm so, so thankful. Yeah, and so much of what you said was just so positive and just had me reflecting a lot on some of the things that you were saying. And I want to delve into a couple of these um, things a little further. And first one was at the very beginning of what you're talking about with your collegiate experiences, you mentioned that you were part of a very multicultural program. And this idea of representation, where, where whether it was your, your vocal teacher or it was your choir conductor or mm -hmm. people like that that had that influence on you. And I think that is amazing that you were able to have that experience experience, you know, as a person of color being in a multi multicultural program like that, because like we were, you were saying before, talking about how classical European classical music, yeah. this like Western ideal is very whitewashed, very dominated by older white men and things mm -hmm. like that. And I love the fact that you had such a positive experience with people that were like you. I think that's so profound. Yes. CSUN was such a beautifully diverse school, especially being the fact that it was in Northridge, which is a part of Los Angeles. So in Los Angeles, California, of course, you're going to have like a more diverse school. Um, but it was interesting to look at, like, even though we did have, compared to other music departments and, uh, and other schools around the nation, I would say that CSUN's music department was a little bit more diverse. But in talking about our school, the music department compared to the other school, the other departments in our school was still actually less diverse. There were still disparities, which should be interesting and show you that even in a diverse school in Los Angeles, California, there can still, there was still disparities in our music department um, of representation. 
And, you know, I think that that's just because we have seen so many examples of how it's so um, inherent sometimes and deep in our education or in our systems. And so I think that that's why that was one reason why it was a little hard for me just being like unfamiliar to with with just classical music in general and um so I definitely like found my place more um as I as I you know grew up <laughs> at CSUN and like I said just to see certain professors like my choir director like um my opera director who were both people of color and the fact that my opera director was the first like really the first, uh, you know, brown Latina woman in that position and probably in the faculty, um, it was just monumental. And I think it's showing that it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, they hired her because she's talented, not because of like her, like her ethnicity, but because she's, you know, talented and just amazing. And it's so powerful to see a woman up there leading a whole orchestra and a whole and a whole opera and like conducting the whole thing and for me to be like okay that is an example that I need for me to work toward so that I can be a successful musician you know yeah so it's definitely super important to have um different cultures represented or different stories represented in art and in music and in classical music because music uh, life imitates art and art imitates life and so how can we make classical music more accessible or you know you know like for have to have more communities like know about classical music because like i said before i i do think that there is a little bit of some elitism in classical music which causes certain populations to know more about classical music and be able to afford to go to the opera to afford to go see an orchestra as opposed to other communities um so in order to make that better, like, I think if we want all communities to be, like, you know, ex exposed to classical music and have it like, more accessible, I think we also need to have our own stories and our own cultures and our own languages and our own ethnicities represented in that. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of people like to argue, well, you know, this such and such population isn't creating classical music or they're not performing it or blah 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 but you are literally an example of someone who performs classical music and is alive and thriving and doing the thing so it's not that it doesn't exist it's that it's not being performed by right. it doesn't have agency it doesn't have agency as much as you know those who are coming those who are, you know, you know, like we talk about the Eurocentric classical music and, and, you know, of course, like we should learn about Mozart, we should learn about Beethoven and Bach and, you know, all of that because they're amazing and, and, you know, they did create a lot of the foundation of classical music, but there's also so many others that we need to know about too, like worldwide of musicians that are creating this art that even that created art in the 18th and 17th and 16th century that didn't that didn't get famous like like yeah. a lot of other people did because they probably didn't have um you know maybe they didn't have money or maybe they were impoverished or maybe because of you know racism or you know just so many things i mean you know things coming to life now like we're seeing especially with so many movements that have happened in this past year I have seen 
you know, uh, an attempt for to bring more like composers, like maybe like Latino composers or black composers or Arabic composers or just different composers to the front line to show the work that they're doing. And I think it's a step in the right direction. And I think that we need to do that because how can we, how can art be trustworthy if we don't, if we don't support or amplify every voice in this world? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I completely agree with all of that. And I feel like, because you are out in Los Angeles and everything, and that's where, you know, you are a West Coast girl. I feel like, just from my perspective, that the LA Phil and the LA Opera, out of a lot of the major opera companies and uh, philharmonics that are in our country, I feel like they strive to include more new music and more music by diverse composers than some other <laughs> orchestras and organizations are doing. Mm-hmm. I always felt like the LA Phil and the LA Opera were um, leaders in that sort of movement. Now, obviously it's not perfect, right? But I feel like they are moving in the right direction where there are some other organizations that are kind of falling behind in that wheelhouse. So I do appreciate that there is an attempt out there on the West Coast to lead by example in that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh my gosh, I completely 100% agree with you. Maybe I'm a little biased because I'm in Los Angeles and I'm born and raised Los Angeles. And um, also, I, you know, I used to work at, I used to intern at LA Opera. But I mean, also just like interning at LA Opera, I saw it firsthand. I saw firsthand the programs that they do to reach the community, you know, there's just so many things and I'm a firm believer that you start when people are young and so the education and community engagement uh, department has so many programs where they go into schools and some of them are inner city and some of them are maybe like title one schools or whatever Um, it really doesn't matter it's like all these different types of schools from like high income to low income and they you know, go in and they teach students about music and they, and it's, it's what's so awesome too, is that they do it through like a historical perspective, or they do it through a social justice perspective or through an anti-bullying perspective. You know, they have so many programs where they teach kids music and they make them the, you know, they give them the opportunities to perform and to experiment with this music and to, you know, basically obtain agency and empowerment through music and through social justice through a musical or performing artist perspective and then they also have so many programs where they engage with community all around us you know their goal and their mission is to because they are Los Angeles opera to get all of Los Angeles families into opera and into classical music Um, And so does the LA Phil. I mean, Gustavo Dudamel does a great job at having these programs like the same thing, goes into these schools, gives these kids the opportunity to do classical music, no matter their income, no matter their uh, socioeconomic status or their ethnicity or their color or their, you know, family situation or whatever. And so also just, you know, I've seen it firsthand uh, in working closely with those with those entities of how they really do a great job at like amplifying new composers and telling new stories and commissioning 
uh, people and, you know, they just have a new, they just had a new um, group created called the Hildegards where they, you know, get a bunch of women in classical music together. And there's so many women composers, like women of color, like that are young and composing and, and just doing amazing things and telling stories about telling untold stories that we don't learn about in our history books. Yeah. And, you know, our history books are a, a lot of the time they're, they're kind of, they're, they tell a certain narrative that misses the narratives of people of color or of some of the not so pretty parts mm -hmm. of our history or of our society. And these, I see these women and these people of color, these young composers are, it doesn't really matter who they are, or where they come from. They're telling stories that need to be told. And they're, they are doing programs where they go out into the communities and, and they do like community outreach. And to me, that's awesome because I've seen, I've heard it so many times where with classical music, people kind of think like, oh, that's for rich people. Like, oh, like that's for like, I've like, I'm, not my words, but like other people have said, oh, like that's for like rich old white people or whatever. And, you know, they feel like they, it's, they feel like it doesn't pertain to them. I mean, they like it when they hear it, but they're like, oh, I just, I feel like this isn't like for me. I feel like because they feel that way because of many reasons. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they can't access it. Maybe they didn't have music education and maybe they weren't exposed to it. And maybe also they don't see themselves represented in that art form. And so I feel like with, you know, nobody's perfect, but we really have to make the we have to make the attempts and we do the strides to do that, to represent all people in this classical music form. I mean, I read a New York Times article about opera needs to address its race problem, and it's absolutely true. You know, they included the LA Opera actually did a talk with a bunch of their black opera singers that they uh, work with a lot, black famous opera singers who talk about their racism that they've experienced in the opera industry, that you know, they feel like they have to kind of grin it and bear it and smile when, you know, a producer or, you know, a director or a casting agent, so many of them who are very traditional and older and, um, you know, that they say like racist things or they say like, you know, and they don't even, they're not even aware of it. And they've cut these, you know, young and up and coming like opera singers of color kind of have to grin and bear it because they feel like they have to in order to survive in the in, in this industry. Um, and, you know, in that same talk, these black opera singers were talking about how, you know, they were the star of the show and they were followed by security because they thought they were stealing something or committing yeah. a crime. And, and they're literally like, um, I'm actually the star of the show. And so why is that? We, we still have like this, almost like this inherent bias in us ingrained in our mind where we think that. A certain type of person that looks a certain type of way is oh how could a you know maybe they think to themselves I, I don't know their hearts but maybe subconsciously they think they assume that this black person or this brown person cannot be the star of this show like that we've, we haven't seen that before so how is this person the star of the show yeah. and, and I think that that's like a very dangerous cycle because we see that with systemic racism and systemic racism has infiltrated into the opera and performing arts industry. And we're this industry, although we are artists and we're creative and 
we want to be loving and you know wonderful to everyone we were very open-minded and love the world but at the same time we are not immune to systemic racism in uh, in this industry and the elitism and the prejudice and and i think it's just a very vicious cycle and so long story short yes i'm very grateful to uh, la opera and la philharmonic absolutely absolutely do they have so many programs where they're really trying to to transform that and really like take out weed out those bad fruits of systemic racism um and i mean one last little thing i mean we see it time and time again that if you want crime to go down or if you want mental health to get better or if you want just people to succeed better in life when students have music education or they have accessibility to these art forms we see that they perform better in school that they're better behaved that they're healthier that they're happier that you know people aren't really getting into trouble as much because they see that they have a chance to do something to express themselves in art and to uh, when you make art ex these art forms that tend to be very elitist and you make them accessible to low income or different communities that don't usually ha aren't you know they don't have this art form accessible to them they feel important and when they see someone that looks like them up on that stage or conducting the orchestra or conducting the opera, that makes them have hope. So yeah, I'm a strong believer that we need more, we need better music education in schools that really need it because that is an expensive art form. And we see that we have great music education programs in private schools or you know, really high income schools. But what about low income schools? Like for example, my high school. Um, my high school didn't have a, a a program the way other schools do, and uh, I think that that's because of several issues of you know disparities in disparities when it comes to high income schools and low income schools. So oh yeah, yeah completely agree. And it's yeah. so interesting to me too because it seems like these high income schools have like all these great resources and things like this. And yeah. this is me talking as a person that works in a Title One school district. Uh, um, and yet, you know, they're always talking about how, oh yeah, well, these low-income schools get more government funding. And then I sit there and go, but it's not going to the kids. Yeah. Where yeah. is it going? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's yeah. a whole can of worms right there, for sure. Absolutely. And, the, and you know, they, the first thing to go are these programs, like yes. these school music programs or, you know, different things. So that's why... Uh, you know, actually, it's interesting with LA Opera, I, I was an intern working with Opera Camp where we, we, it was a huge like program on equity, you know, mm -hmm. where we have all these different kids of all these different ethnicities and colors and backgrounds all around Los Angeles, all these different ages. And we teach them music and opera through a social justice perspective, such as the civil rights movement we talked about, um, you know, the 1960s, as well as like, you know, racism and anti-bullying, as well as um, the Japanese internment camps and World War II, and basically tried to unlearn our prejudice and our bias. And we, we put on an opera talking about that and Amazing. how healing it is for these kids and empowering is just like, is just astounding to me. And 
Yeah. And, you know, I also was a teacher for LA Opera through a choral residency program where we teach them choral music through a social justice and historical perspective. I taught them De Colores, which was a Spanish, you know, it's like a Spanish hymn where, you know, the Mexican uh, undocumented immigrants use that a lot during the farm workers movement with Cesar Chavez and the Chicano movement and protests. And I taught them We Shall Overcome, which was a huge hymn and during Martin Luther King loved it. And, and, you know, these kids learned so much that they didn't even realize they needed to know. And yeah. it makes them feel good about themselves. I would read their reflections. And, and one, one child said, humans are like light bulbs. You know, we all have, we all come in different colors and we all, but we all have a light within us that we need to ignite so that we can light up a dark room. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, like you, when you literal tears, it's fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, I had kids in their reflection talking to, I said, what do you want to overcome? What is your ethnicity? What is your culture? And how can you be proud of that? And some were saying, I'm Salvadorian. Some were saying like, I'm Armenian and I want us to overcome like what's going on in Armenia and like all these different things. And, and when you start them at a young age, giving them this, this, this space to explore and be creative and have empowerment and agency, we will have a better future. And that's why when people say like, oh, musicians and artists, you need to keep politics and social issues out of it. Like just saying like, no, like, you know, this is, you know, historically we have always seen composers and artists and painters and musicians and singers who are kind of like they're the voice of movements and history being made. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that with that quote the one kid said about the light bulb thing. That was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe a kid said that. That's so amazing. Yeah, and, so that's so smart. Too. and you were talking about all of these, you know, musical experiences you've had um, as a musician and how that has affected your development, you know, as an artist and as a human. And you have some very creative ways that you have used all those experiences that you have and created an an outlet for yourself. And one of those things is through your own podcast, um, which is called Notes From Her, which is so cool because then you have notes from her and I have her stories. That's great. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you hope to accomplish with it? Yes. So it's so funny. It started out as a baby idea. Because like I said, I, you know, as a musician and singer and as a doing multimedia, dabbling in multimedia journalism a little bit while at, while in school, I was like, I want to really find a way to mix both of these. And I was just thinking about it and thinking about it for a couple of years. And then I finally came up with the idea with um, doing a podcast. And, and for the podcast, I decided that I would interview women classical musicians especially women of color, classical musicians. Um, And they didn't even have to be classical musicians. They could be non-classical as well. Like, um, you know, I've interviewed some non-classical musicians. And the whole point is that, you know, like going back to my own experiences, I saw firsthand the disparity, the ethnic, cultural, and color, and gender disparity in classical music when I first entered the classical music world. I saw it with, you know, who are the people in charge? Who are the people like at, um, you know, when you look at nationwide at like auditions or different programs or different um, summer programs or 
different like music camp intensives or you know faculties or you know even just the stage like the the classical music stage I saw you know yeah there's such a disparity of women and women of color or people of color in general especially women of color or just women in general represented in this field um like leading being as leaders in this field or you know having their music performed like whether they're composers or opera singers or whatever and so I was like yeah I'm gonna interview women women of color um, musicians and and so the whole point was to create a space for these women to tell their stories because I realized there's not a lot of spaces where these women can tell their stories so yeah I wanted to do that and in the interviews, I would want to talk about, like, who are you? What is your culture? What is your life? Like, you know, basically kind of what we're doing right now. Like, what are you doing in terms of music? Like, you know, talk about music. I mean, I wanted to talk about music, of course, and talk about how it pertains to, like, life and womanhood and women's empowerment and intersectional feminism, because, you know, everything is intersectional. And... um you know, social issues and how music pertains to social issues or just also current events and news because, you know, I'm a journalist, so let's talk about news. <laughs> and also, like, you know, I also wanted to create a space where they could talk about career tips and lifestyle tips because I think as a lot of people who listen to podcasts are also especially, like, young people, like, our age, who are, you know, I love listening to podcasts that give advice on things. And I think as young and up-and-coming musicians, um, especially in my music department, when I would talk to my friends, we have so many questions about things. And so I wanted to create this podcast, too, where these women could answer those questions and talk about career tips or lifestyle tips um, from a woman perspective. Yeah. And because we don't have that a lot. So I wanted to create that space. And... I think that sometimes we don't always tell these women's stories and I wanted to do that. And also I wanted everyone to be able to listen to this podcast because it could serve musicians who are learning and trying to find their way in this world and trying to find a way to like make their career, you know, lifestyle tips too. But I also wanted women to listen to this and you didn't have to be a woman who's a musician. You could be a woman who's a, I don't know, like a, scientist or an accountant or a mom or whatever um, because we talk about things that are pertinent to to women and motherhood or uh, anything but I also didn't just want women to listen to this I wanted I want men to listen to it too because yeah. I think women's issues concern men too and that like it shouldn't be up to a woman to always speak up about it so it should be up to also men to also be like, how can I help women? How can I, you know, love them better? How can we be more united? How can we both be um, empowered? And, you know, we talk about that. We talk about that too. And we also talk about things that are pertinent and relatable to anybody. We talk about faith. We talk about social issues. I mean, I had a whole series on the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. because I was going out as a freelancer to protests and to strikes and different things. And I was interviewing just random people on the streets. And I was also interviewing like organizers and activists. And, you know, uh, I interviewed a reverend who was a part of the LA people's budget who, you know, created a new budget for 
the reform that needed to happen in terms of like what they were talking about. And I interviewed so many different people. And I also would talk to these women of color musicians too about like the social issues that pertain to like maybe like over sexualization of women in, you know, music or in just in general, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like in commercials or, you know, just so many like, you know, breaking free from like, uh, Latina stereotypes or black women stereotypes or just like so many things like and you know just so many issues and they all basically affect each other and I also did a series on you know interviewing these women while we were all quarantined during this pandemic and these women because you know the classical music industry was super hard hit by COVID because we everything had to be shut down the opera houses and theaters and the orchestras had to be shut down and so I did so many stories on these women who talked about like how they're coping, how they're finding ways to teach music or to perform music in quarantine, online, in Zoom. And so I feel like I wanted to create a space for anyone to be able to listen to it, whether you're a musician, a woman, a woman of color, a woman of color musician, a man, a mother, a pastor, a young 10 year old kid who maybe they've never been exposed to classical music before in their life but this podcast is easily accessible for free to anyone so they can like listen to this podcast and thinking they're hearing like maybe someone talk about oh um how to create a brand or career tips and then they end up also hearing not only that but they also end up hearing about this woman's classical music and her compositions. And then in that way, this person that's listening to the podcast is better exposed to classical music is one step further to being exposed to classical music. Cause I wanted to really erase that elitism, which is so prevalent in classical music. Um, so this podcast, I really wanted it to be accessible to everyone. So, yeah. That's great. And I think you're accomplishing so many things in in just one, you know, medium, right? Just the podcast. And I think that's awesome. And you also have a blog on your website as well. And you were talking about these social justice issues that you have been a part of fighting for and also interviewing people in part of your podcast as well. Um, so I guess my final question for you is what advice or like what can we do as artists and creators and whoever in the field to assist in these social justice issues from your experience oh my gosh great question i feel Woo. so prepared <laughs> well i guess i would start off by saying it takes a village it doesn't just take one per i mean sure i mean one person can start a movement one person can create a ripple effect but every single person in this world has a purpose and we all are very unique and we all have different gifts and we all have different skin colors and different languages and different cultural backgrounds or family upbringings and all of that can be used for good and so i think that um it takes a village so like for example like if you have an idea or you have a dream or you have something you're interested in or you have a passion, especially as a musician or an artist, I think you should lean into that um, because everybody has different passions. And like, like I said, oh my gosh, like the things that I do, um, no way could I do it on my own. No way 
I had help every step along the way. I actually had a friend who kind of gave me the idea and to begin with, like, why don't you do a podcast? Like, mm-hmm. it was him who, like, you know, really, like, I didn't probably even think of that had he not brought it up. And had my mentors and my professors not kind of helped me and given me ideas and given and believed in me and given me opportunities. And, you know, there was this program at CSUN called the Presidential Scholar Program, where if you apply, you are named a presidential scholar and you um, create a project out of being a presidential scholar. It's like being, it's kind of like a grant, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that I, when I had this idea to do the podcast, I applied like, you know, I only had a month to apply. Like it was like this huge application process. And, you know, my friend who was a former presidential scholar helped me apply. He was the one who thought of the idea, like, you want to do a podcast? He read over my application proposal. And, you know, I applied. CSUN believed in me. The committee believed in me. I was so surprised. And they they named me a presidential scholar. And that is the, the that is what made me do my podcast. Because... I had this idea, but had I not had the help, had I not had people believe in me, had I not had some, you know, a little bit of financial help, I I don't know if I would have done it because it is so hard and so much work. It's money. And every step of the way, thanks to, you know, the CSUN Presidential Scholar Program and them naming me a presidential scholar and believing in me and all these people that helped me along the way. And man, just, I'm just in awe of like, how it really took a village to get me to where I am and how it's going to take me a village to continue to get to me to where I am. And so, yeah, I don't know if I would do like half of what I did, especially the podcast without this village, without people helping me, without being named the CSUN presidential scholar and the committee helping me and, you know, um, just professors and mentors. So that's one thing. So it takes a village for sure. And recognize that you can't do it on your own and that you need to ask for help because I am so, I mess up every day. I make mistakes. I say things wrong. I, sometimes I address things wrong. I maybe like say something in the wrong way, or maybe I, you know, don't know how to do something. I didn't know anything about podcasting at all. I made mistakes and I learned on my own and And it's about like being humble enough to know that like you really don't know everything. I for sure, there's very little that I know actually. (laughs) Oh, I feel you girl. Same here. It's fine. Yeah. There's very little that I know and I make mistakes every day. And every day I look back and I'm like, wow, like, okay, I need to do better on this or Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. I need to be more educated on this or I made a mistake and how I talked about this or how I said this. And it's about knowing like, you know, I am a person in progress. I am an imperfect person. And every day I need to learn that I need to learn from my mistakes or the things that I need to do better in. And how can I like look to my village to help me? How can I look to like my mentors or friends or my family or pastor or someone above me, like a professor or whatever, to like really tell me like, hey, like this is the way you do it, or I would suggest you do this, really mentor me and hold me accountable. Um, Because we as humans are always progressing and always evolving and always learning. And so being humble enough to know that we're not going to always get it right, and that we're very imperfect, and we're probably going to mess up every day. And that that's how you and to be aware of that so that you can move forward and be better. 
and that it takes a village and to ask for help. And then in terms of like, you know, how we as musicians and creatives and artists can partner and be in the change this world needs to see, I think it starts small. I think that we need to do a better job at taking care of each other. Too many times we say like, well, that's not my problem. It's not affecting me or like this other person will take care of it. This other person will do the work, but it can take you too. If you want to see a change, like you be that change you want to see, like how can it, how can you start small? Could it be that you volunteer somewhere? Could it be that you donate to certain organizations you believe in? Um, even if it's $2, you know, cause maybe we don't all have, you know, I for sure don't have a lot of money. Or is it like, you know, listening to people, listening to someone who's hurting? I mean, I feel like so many issues that were happening like this past year um, could be better ameliorated if we listen to people. Like, could we, you know, for example, through the Black Lives Matter movement, could we do a better job at like listening to Black people who feel traumatized or scared or sad or or talk about the oppression that goes on in so many people's lives and talk about like, hey, what is, we look, you know, yeah, like let's create a space for you to like heal and talk about it. And how can I be an ally? How can I be better for you? Like, how can I help you? Like always asking people, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? How, and, you know, do the work on our own to educate ourselves, read books, you know, and ultimately as a musician, especially, and as an artist, understanding that like I think it's it's easy for uh, a performing artist to to be like the star of the show and think it's all about you but it's not because you're there's a bigger picture and there is a bigger purpose and there and there is something so much bigger at hand here as a, especially a musician I think that my purpose when I'm singing or performing or even as a journalist because um, I've done tv I've done shows and it's, it could be easy to think like, oh, this is about me. It's absolutely not about me. My biggest thing is going into this and being like, I am here as a servant. And I am here as like a servant to others. Like, how can I tell this story better? How can I like make this music come alive so that someone feels better? Like it, music is a catharsis. How can I tell a story? How can I serve others better? How can I use my art and my music and my journalism and my podcast notes from her to advocate for those who are oppressed or marginalized to tell people stories to, you know, help champion good causes. Like it is never about me. It is never about any of us. It's, it's about a greater purpose. It's about making a change in this world to help others. And, um, it's about being a servant. And as a musician, you really are, um, a service you are you are in service to the public as an artist and as a creative you are in service to helping others you don't have to be you don't have to be like you know Martin Luther King Jr. to think that you're an activist you, you activism and being a part of a revolution is takes everybody and takes all of your skills and you are in service to other people and um it's not about you. So yeah, for sure, like community and knowing it's not about you and realizing like every day thinking to yourself, how can I help others? How can I serve others? How can I use my passions and my art, especially art, especially music, because that is like the language of everyone. Um, how can I use that to serve others? How can I use that to tell people stories and to make them feel loved 
to make them feel amplified. Uh, we see so many art forms like, I don't know, like Hamilton or In the Heights, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like tells these people stories and it raises awareness on issues. Um, you know, that's just one small example. So yeah, that's, I guess that's my advice. But like I said, I don't, you know, I don't assume to know it all. Yeah. <laughs> but for sure, in my own experience, that's what I've learned. Yeah, and I think that's all great takeaways that anybody listening can can take with them and try to enact this sort of change that we've been talking about today. I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and sharing your experiences. I think this is a great conversation that we had, and I appreciate all of your insight. This has been great. Thank you so much, Cassidy. Thank you for having me. It's been such an honor, and I'm so excited to be a part of this. It, it's an honor that you you had me on here. So thank you so much for giving me that honor and um, interviewing me and letting me talk your ear off. <laughs>